Today's reading is from Mark chapter 16, beginning at the first verse, and can be found on 1023 of the Church Bibles. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Peter's now going to um, speak to us from from that um, reading, so I'll just pray for him. Father, we thank you for these amazing words from Mark. And Lord, we pray that you would be be with Peter this morning as he speaks to us um, through them. Lord, that you'd inhabit his words. Lord, that we might know afresh something of the wonder of what you have done for us. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Well, good morning to you and a happy Easter. Who braved this hill at six o'clock this morning? A few of us did. It's great, wasn't it? The sun came out just at the right moment. Uh, we just uh, read the Bible reading and uh, I just said a few words and then the sun came out from behind the clouds and it was amazing. Really lovely uh, place to be that time of day on an Easter Sunday morning. And uh, it's also good uh, to be here uh, first Easter with you as the Hubbards uh, family uh, are with you for our first Easter with you. And it's great just to walk the journey of the year with you. Uh, we were we're with you obviously at Christmas and now Easter. And uh, it's good just to uh, celebrate these big things, these uh, important seasons in the year. And here we are on Easter Sunday. There's a very, soul, a very zealous and soul-winning young preacher, and uh, he recently came upon a, a farmer working in his fields. Being concerned about the farmer's soul, the preacher asked the man, Are you laboring in the vineyard of the Lord, my good man? Not even looking at the preacher and continuing his, continuing his work, the farmer replied, No, these are soybeans, young'un. You don't understand, said the preacher. Are you a Christian? With the same amount of interest as the previous answer, the farmer said, nope, my name is Jones. You must be looking for Jim Christian. 
He lives about a mile south of here, down, the, down by the river, down there somewhere. You'll, you'll find him. The young preacher determined, determined he's gonna, he's gonna get an answer. So he says, are you lost? No! I've lived here all my life! He answered. Then, are you prepared for the resurrection? The, ins- the frustrated preacher asked him. Now this caught the farmer's attention. And he asked, oh, when's it gonna be? Thinking by now he's accomplished something, the young preacher replied, well, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, or it could be the next day. Taking a handkerchief from his pocket, the, the farmer wiped his brow, and he remarked, well, don't mention that to my wife, because she don't get out much. She want to go all three days. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. Some water. It's a very bad joke. My accent was getting worse as it went along, do you notice? <laughs> It was changing from Irish to Welsh to West Country. I don't know where it was going, but anyway. Well, that is a, a, a joke, but it's it, in some ways, in some strange way, it leads us into the reading from Mark. And, and communication, is, as I'm sure you know, when you're communicating with people, sometimes you can, you know, you kind of, they hear you and you hear them and you understand each other, but sometimes there are misunderstandings and sometimes there are surpri- uh, surprises and, yes, sometimes there can be failures. And here we are at the end of Mark's Gospel. We've been following Mark's Gospel through Lent. And we're going to follow it through a little bit more after Easter as well, or into the Easter season. And here we are. We've got uh, the scene where the three women come to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, all uh, at the tomb, come to the tomb as soon as they can at the end of Sabbath. So they've observed the Sabbath rule. The Sabbath rule says... Don't do anything, uh, just stay, rest. And at the end of Sabbath, they are uh, allowed release to go out. And they, have, they are now wanting to anoint Jesus' body. That is what they are doing or wanting to do. And so they come to the tomb for one last act of, of faithfulness and love. They, they're there to give their Lord the burial rite. Now let's get one thing straight. These two Marys, these three women, the two Marys and Salome, are not there to witness the resurrection. That is not what they are there to do. Uh, unlike us, they have never been through an Easter Sunday before. They've never been to a service like this. They don't know what's about to happen. And of course, as they reach the tomb, what they're expecting to find is a tomb that is closed. A tomb that is sealed. A tomb with a big Roman soldier next to it, guarding it. And yet, lo and behold, what do they find? One surprise happens. The first surprise happens to them. The stone has been rolled away. It's rolled away. What does it mean? Does it mean that there's somebody who's been into the tomb and stolen the body? Does happen. What are they going to do? What do they do? Who would do such a dreadful thing anyway? Who would steal a dead body? And so there they are, just trying to get into their, you know, the way that their minds are thinking or, you know, struggling with their emotions. Summoning up the courage, they go into the tomb. And most likely they're expecting to find it, yes, dark, cold, probably a smell of a, a, a dead body that has been there a couple of days. But then comes the next surprise. 
Instead, what they find is they find a young man dressed in white, sitting there, calmly, quietly, waiting for them, it seems, to arrive. And when they saw him, when they see him, Mark says, they were alarmed. I think you would have been alarmed as well. I would have been alarmed. They've met an angel. An angel is there in front of their very eyes. And in the Bible, when an angel appears, when there's an angelic messenger from God who comes to uh, give a message to people or to someone, very often the words preceding that message are, don't be afraid, fear not. Probably the most famous example of that is the shepherds, the, the birth of Jesus, the, the angelic hosts appear, and the angel says to them, don't be afraid, fear not. I bring you good news. And the same is true here. Here we have a messenger of God, an angelic messenger in dazzling white who begins his revelation to them. And he speaks comfort to them. He says, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid, fear not. And then he says to them who they are looking for. He tells them who they are looking for and he tells them how he has died. He says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And yet the story doesn't finish there. And yet the women are not not in no sense ready for the next message that the messengers got for them. The next big surprise, the biggest surprise of all of history. He has risen. He is not here. And then just to drive his point even further home, he invites the women to have a look around, to to appear into the tomb, come into them, investigate it, see for yourselves, see where the linen is, where the body was, see for yourselves. And then the young man, the, the, the angelic messenger, then finishes his revelation by giving the women some instructions. He says, go, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then the final surprise, the finale. And most of the manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts of Mark, finish then, in verse 8. The final verse in the best manuscripts of Mark, the earliest manuscripts, the final verse says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it. That's all. That's the end. What a way to end a gospel. You know, if you go to the, if you go to the cinema, if you go and see a film, not always, but most of the time, you want a happy ending of a film, don't you? You want to, you want the ending to conclude it, to draw all the threads together, to, you know, to sort of sum it all up. And to send you out of the cinema singing, and oh, with a lovely film. But it, it's, it's ambiguous, this, isn't it? It's an ambiguous ending. We're left with a, a question, a nagging question. Why end like that? Why does Mark end his gospel on a sort of, you know, like a cliffhanger? Where's the good news? Where's the triumph in such an ending as that? We need to grapple with this because Otherwise, we'll just think, well, that's the way it is. But there's, there's, re- there's reason, there's a meaning for this. And 
The clue, I think, is in verse 8 as to why it ends like this. I think the clue is in verse 8. Let's read verse 8 again because you've got some words that are interesting that, that Mark uses. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I think the word bewildered is the key one in that verse. And if you know your New Testament Greek, which I'm sure many of you do, you will know that that word is ecstasis. Ecstasis. And that is where we get the word ecstasy from. Ecstasis. And so what Mark is saying is that they are quite literally in a state of ecstasy. And so what Mark is, he's describing the emotional, mental, psychological state of the women as being in ecstasy. And so they're having, you see, this this is a divine revelation. They are having a meeting with God. They are meeting with God in this revelation. And it would have been frightening. It would have been a difficult experience for them. And yet I think that that way of putting it, if you like, makes it even more believable, more real. All of the gospel accounts, all of the gospel accounts of the resurrection have some element of fear and doubt in response to the risen Christ. All of them. Would have taken some time for these women to come to terms with the fact that they have met an angelic messenger. They're, you know, if you've ever, have, who's ever met an angel? I haven't. If you were to ever meet an angel in real life, you would be in a, you know, for a while. And these people have, ju- these women have just met an angel in real life in front of them. And he's told them to go and proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. And so the the same is true for you and I. If we, you know, if God has spoken to you, God speaks to us through the Bible supremely, but God speaks to us in other ways as well. And I've had that experience of God speaking to me. And sometimes it takes a little while for that message to really get home or to, to, for you to understand it. There may be a level of, of fear. There may be a level of unbelief. There may be a level of skepticism about it. But sometimes we need just to, you know, bring it into our lives, integrate it into our thinking, into our faith, if you like, before we can respond. And so who knows? Who knows how long they stayed in that state of bewilderment or ecstasy or astonishment, surprise? How long they remained like that, we don't know. But what we do know is that they would have then done what they were told. They would have shared the good news. They would have gone to the other disciples and Peter. Interesting, isn't it, that the angel picks out Peter from the disciples. But they would have done it. If they hadn't have done that, well, we wouldn't be here today celebrating the resurrection. There would be no church if they hadn't shared the good news with the other disciples. And that kind of leads me to just to something else that's interesting of, of the way that Mark ends his gospel, and it's, it is consistent with the other resurrection accounts. And it is that it's the women, not the men, who are the first messengers of the resurrection. Just think how ironic that is. 
If we, if, you know, we know that history has been male-dominated for most of history, but in those days it was even more dominated by men than it is now. And so God, you see, the God of surprises, he turns it upside down and he is saying to women first the good news of the resurrection. He proclaims it, he communicates it to women first and they become the first preachers of the resurrection. And so Mark, you see, ultimately what he's doing is is encouraging us. He is encouraging his readers from the first readers all the way through to where we are now. And he's giving us a message of hope. Mark wrote to the ordinary person. He wrote to men and women and young people in his day and his words are have eternal truth to them. And he writes to us today. These words ring true today. And he's writing to people like you and me. God is speaking through his word to people like you and me. Ordinary people. We may not be perfect. If you're perfect, tell me at the end of the service. We probably fail. In fact, I can guarantee we fail. I fail. You fail. We probably have doubts. We probably have fears. And it's right to wrestle with those. And yet, despite all of that, the good news is still the good news and it's the best news of all time is that Jesus is alive. He is risen. And so what that means is, it means that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what it means. What the the resurrection means is that Jesus really does have the words of eternal life. And what the resurrection means is that Jesus is now, even now, drawing people to himself, young, old, whatever age, to himself right now, so that each person may know his amazing, extravagant and unconditional love. The resurrection means that we can have a new start, a new beginning. The resurrection means that God is more powerful than death. The resurrection means that he is the one who brings light in a dark world. That his light is more powerful than dark and evil. The resurrection means that the God of love is more powerful than doubt and despair. Just hold on to that when you listen to the news. That God is more powerful than fear and hatred and doubt and despair. And that, my friends, is why the church is still alive and well today. We know the church isn't growing that much in this country, but we know the church is growing exponentially in some parts of the world. Praise the God, praise the Lord. And that is why we're here today, to celebrate that. That Jesus is alive and reigns over the whole cosmos. So let's pray. Let's ask God now to come. Lord Jesus, we, we are here to worship you. We are here to celebrate you. We are here to proclaim that you are alive. And Lord, because you're alive, that means that everything changes. The whole of history has changed because you are alive. That means so many things. It means we have hope. It means we have life. It means we have beauty. 
It means we have truth. It means we have purpose. It means that even though there are some people in the world doing dastardly things today, we know that you are in control and you hold the world in your hands. It means that you are the one who holds our lives in your hands. That you are the one to whom our lives are heading. Lord Jesus, we praise you, we thank you. We can never say enough to praise you that you are alive. Help us, Lord, to live that out in our lives each day. May the truth of that be seen in us so that your name is glorified. Amen.